What's up, my dudes? I'm back. So, I didn't release anything the day of going to Japan. I was supposed to finish up Beowulf, but uh, I didn't. And I'm going to finish that on Friday because I do not feel all together yet. But I'm going to tell you guys about Japan. So, um, we got there on... Wednesday morning, I believe. We left it. Or we get there Wednesday. We got there about Wednesday at like four or five o'clock. And we took the bus into Tokyo. Took about two hours. And we checked in our hotel. It's one of those capsule hotels. Um, I recommend them only if you're okay with like being pretty minimal because the way those hotels work one they're segregated by gender so the men are on one floor the women are on another floor but there's a I'd say four feet high by four feet wide by about seven mm, maybe six and a half feet long uh, capsule there's a three or four inch thick mattress pad, one blanket, and a little shelf with a control panel in the top corner of the room that's got lights, a okay fan, an alarm, stuff like that. And a mirror, there's a mirror in there if you need it. This place is okay to sleep in. I mean, it was comfortable enough it served its purpose. I enjoyed being there when it was quiet. I mean, this this last night we were there, people were making a absolute fucking abomination of noise. Some guy was snoring like a chainsaw, and I wanted to pull him out of his capsule and choke him. Like it was, oh, it was infuriating. But um, the shower situation was interesting too. At the Capsule Hotel, there was bathrooms on both floors, but there was only showers on a specific floor. It was the, the upper floor. So you go in, and the stalls were floor to ceiling. So you couldn't see in, you couldn't see out. And there's a, a vestibule area where you take off your clothes, you set them on the rack, all that stuff. And then you hop in the shower, but the showers aren't like they are here. Uh, they don't have a like a two knob system or here in the United States if because we know we have some foreign listeners here um, we have two knobs most showers I think are a two knob system in Japan they had two knobs but they weren't independent they were on this cylindrical tube that was going horizontally across the shower and one of them controlled the intensity of the shower's uh, stream and the other one controlled the heat or the temperature. But they had a lock on some of them so you couldn't turn it up past a certain heat unless you press the lock down and turn it up yourself, which I thought was kind of interesting because, you know, you don't want to melt your skin off on accident. But all the showers were removable shower heads. Like you could take them off and it's like the wand type thing. This is um, a part of Japanese culture, like the way they bathe, and I can explain that 
better when we get to the next hotel. But we started out in Tokyo in the Ginza area. And, you know, Tokyo is cool. I really enjoyed it. But I think it's kind of overhyped in the sense that it's New York City. It's much cleaner than New York City. Um, you're going to get around probably easier than New York City. But it's, it's what it is. It's incredibly bright. There's lights everywhere. You can't escape it. It's the most vertical city I've ever been to. And the fact that in the United States, we don't... um, And realistically, this is because we have more space. But we put things in their own building side by side. And each, you know, business typically has its own building. Unless it's one of those, you know, workspace buildings that has bunch of businesses in it japan had buildings that were 13 or 14 floors high and each floor was a different restaurant and you you'd be walking around and you'd be like where are the restaurants and you find out they're in they're in a building but they're just all together and there'd be like a block that's just restaurants and That might have just been a Tokyo thing because I didn't see it anywhere else, really. But it was incredibly vertical. I mean, I I love the brand Uniqlo, Uniqlo, whatever. And they have a a flagship store in Ginza, and it was 12 or 13 floors high. And that store was packed. I couldn't even believe how many people were in that store all hours of the day, which gets me to another point. They don't open a lot of their shops until 11 o'clock in the morning. And they don't, they close at like 8 or 9. So the commercial, like part of Tokyo or just Japan in general, is pretty, um, pretty different than most, like everywhere else I've been. They open at 11, they close at 8. That's, that's it. And people, like I woke up the first day at 4 a.m. I was walking around just trying to get my bearings. And people were leaving bars at 4.30, 4.45. And they weren't leaving like, you know, casually. They were absolutely hammered, which was kind of, I mean, I get it, but I don't. Like these people were clearly dressed for work and they were just getting hammered. We spoke to an Australian guy later towards the end of the trip who works in Japan, and he was telling us that, like, he couldn't find a hotel, so he just paid someone to sleep in a cafe. Like, guys, what's going on here? So, Tokyo, um, we kind of were just hopping around to different places in, in the city. And it was a lot of restaurants. Um, You know what? I think I might want to walk through Kyoto and Osaka first because I'm kind of struggling to remember some of the stuff from Tokyo. Because Tokyo is a bit of a blur, considering that I was the fucking subway surfer. And it, I don't know. Tokyo was really cool. We stayed mostly around the Kinza area. We went to Shibuya Crossing. Um, 
it's okay, dude. I mean, it's a crosswalk that happens to be really popular for some reason. Like, I don't even know why it is. Let's see. Why should we be crossing? You know, um, the weird part about Tokyo is there... Oh. Shibuya Crossing is the busiest pedestrian crosswalk in the world, and that's why it's famous. So, take that as, as it is. Um, I do I do think, though, that Japan is really cool. Like, I do enjoy their culture a lot. I wouldn't go back, though, without knowing Japanese, which I'm trying to learn now, but... I wouldn't go there without it because I ran into four people who spoke English, four or five. Uh, And communication was impossible. Like if the restaurants didn't have menus where you could point at pictures of shit, we would be absolutely like it's over for us. And, you know, I think Tokyo was more of a, uh, going around and checking stuff out that was cool just because, you know, we could. And there was some moment, like, we went to a, a restaurant by our hotel that sold Kobe and Wagyu beef, which, you know, people say is some of the best in the world. And we didn't get anything crazy like A5 or grade A5, but it... It was terrible because we ordered one. Like, I ordered just a Wagyu steak. And my mother ordered, um, like, hamburger beef, like, rice bowl or something. And then her husband ordered something similar. But they gave us two Wagyu steaks, so I had to eat both of them. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I It was good meat, but it wasn't like this shocking, crazy, like life-changing food experience that people hype it up to be. And, you know, honestly, I think American meat is better. And the thing is, I want to have like Argentinian steak because I've heard that's insane. Or like... I've heard British beef is good too, but like I, it, Wagyu wasn't as good as it's as it's hyped up to be, and just because of that, like I was, we were talking to an older, an older man, when we went on a, a hike, and he was saying that Kobe and Wagyu beef aren't where it's at. He was saying that American beef was where it's at. That's that's his preference, but um, after Tokyo. We went to Kyoto, and I liked Kyoto the most because, you know, Tokyo is this huge vertical city where everything is moving a million miles per hour, and you don't really get to slow down for anything. And then Kyoto is the opposite of that. Kyoto was much more um, rustic, I want to say. I mean, it's not particularly that it was rustic, it was still a technologically advanced city, but 
it wasn't as like audacious as Tokyo. And I like that because it allowed me to change my pace and slow down. <laughs> like the highest building in Kyoto was like 15 floors. The highest building in Tokyo was like 72 that I saw. And I'm sure there was higher buildings than that. Um, Kyoto was cool because there were things around there like the Nichijo Gardens uh, or the Nichijo Temples, White Castle. The Emperor's Castle in Kyoto. Um, there was also uh, a bunch of Buddhist temples around there. The Toji Temple. That was dope. Um, other things like, you know, uh, I think the monkeys were in Osaka. But it was a bunch of old architecture that we really went to see. And we went a couple other places. Like, we dropped in one of those pachinko halls. And the pachinko halls were ridiculously loud. Like, I don't get how anyone can just sit there and play those games. And they smoke so much. I have never, like, walked into a room and been bombarded with that much smoke. The weird thing is, though, they don't get to smoke in the streets. I guess that's illegal. So they all smoke in alleys. Like, they're just standing up. In an alley, just like sparking up a cigarette, and no one does anything about it. That's the biggest thing I've noticed about to or about Japan, though. There's a bunch of stuff that's like looked down upon, but no one really gives a shit. Like <laughs> it was, it was kind of interesting to see. Um, the other thing, though, is like. There's things that they say are cultural standards, like stand on the left side of the, the escalator and stuff. Not at all true. Not at all true. In Tokyo, they stand on the left side. In Kyoto, they stand on the right side. And in Osaka, you just figure it out, dude. That They were standing on both sides. And apparently, that's just an Osaka thing. Like, they don't, they just don't pick a side. Like, whoever starts the line, like, that's, that's what side we're on. You know... It was a really enjoyable trip, and there's a couple things that I, a couple things that I would definitely recommend. Like, if you're going, don't do that pocket Wi-Fi um, hotspot thing. We just did international data on our phones, and honestly, if we didn't, it would have been a terrible time because the pocket Wi-Fi only allows you to be in communication with each other when you're right there, and it doesn't give you data to like navigate or anything. If you have international data, all, all the people you go with are all good. They can do anything they need to do, and you're always in communication. Like, that changed the game for us because being able to navigate, being able to translate stuff if we needed it, and being able to just generally be able to use our phones was a great benefit. Um, if you can, don't fly economy. Fly business class. I didn't get to fly business class. I flew economy. I mean, you know, money is a thing. But, oh, my God. I can't sleep on planes. Like, I just cannot do it. And the 11-hour flight absolutely destroyed me. <laughs> like, on the way over... <sighs> 
My bad, guys. I'm still getting out of that jet lag schedule. I'll get to that at the end here because jet lag is absolutely fucking ruining me. And I'm waking up early to record. So the on the flight going over, we had one baby crying. And on the flight coming back, we had like three or four. And, you know, I, I've never like had such aggressive thoughts toward a child <laughs> but I was at I was right on the brink of falling asleep and this kid started crying and I, I was infuriated you know it, it's just it's I gotta find a way to sleep on planes but you know um Osaka was the last place we went to, and I don't know. It was more of a, um, it was more of a city than Kyoto. <sighs> Taller buildings, all that stuff. I think, um, Osaka kind of reminded me of, uh, it reminded me of just a normal city. Like, not one that's super off the rails, like, sensory overload like Japan, but it was a normal city because there were buildings everywhere, like, business type. There were businesses that were running there that you could clearly tell that was their flagship building. And it, it was it was kind of cool. We didn't do very much in Osaka that I can recall. My memory is kind of trashed right now. But we did go to a waterfall um, called Minnow Falls. That was a ways away from uh, from Osaka, but it was worth it. We went up, saw the waterfall. It was an all right waterfall. And really what made that, that little quest there was this old man who was 70 years old, didn't learn his name, but he came over to us and he started talking to us. He was talking to us about all kinds of stuff. He talked about his job. He worked for the uh, Glico company, the people who make Pocky for 46 years. He used to travel all around the United States. Him and his wife taught us how to pray to a Buddhist temple, Shinto shrine. <laughs> was excited to find out I did judo. He loved that. Um, he kept praying for me to get a nice wife. That was... That was pretty funny. Not gonna lie to you, that was that was pretty entertaining. Uh, he showed us that he was a sketch artist or a watercolor artist, and his work was really good because he took his sketchbooks with him uh, wherever he traveled. So he'd been to Belgium, he'd been to uh, England, he'd been to you know all these different European cities, and he had sketch work in his his book, and it was beautiful. And you know, this guy was really active for a 70-year-old. I mean, stairs weren't a problem to him. He walked that hill every day for exercise. Like, the one thing that I really, really liked to see about the elderly population there is that they were still independent. Like, American elderly people are not anywhere on that same scale. I mean, some of them are, of course. But, like, by and large, elderly Americans aren't like that. And that's that's sad. Because this dude is out here just zipping around a mountain. And he's all good. 
He's walking around doing watercolors and he's praying and he's talking to people. That was cool. That was probably my favorite part of the trip, just talking to that dude. Because he spoke broken English, but like I understood what he was talking about. I got it. And I really, I really like that. Um, that, that might honestly have been the highlight of my trip. I did kind of want to go because when we got to Osaka, we found out that that's where the major sumo competition was. I kind of wanted to go to that. Like if I could have gone, I would have liked to, because as you guys know, I like any and all forms of fighting. So (laughs) I would have loved, we were watching sumo on TV and that shit was so intense. They were going so hard in the paint. I mean, there was this, oh my God, there was insane matches. Like one dude threw another dude into the crowd and he was like 400 pounds. So, (laughs) you know, that somebody had to get crucially injured. (laughs) I would love to go train with sumos too. Like I looked up how to do it, but I couldn't find anything. It just seems like it would be fun to mess around with. Like, I was looking up USA Sumo amateur competitions just to mess around with it, but, like, uh, they seem way more geared towards getting people into professional sumo. And, you know, dude, I'm... I'm all right. I'm... I'm already too wrapped up in jiu-jitsu to be trying to become a pro sumo, and... Oof. It's... I don't think it's worth the money. Those guys make stacks, though. Those guys make eight, eighty-eight hundred a month base. Then they get benefits, like... They were handing people, like, at the end of the match, the ref would hand these the winners an envelope. This envelope has money in it. One of these dudes, like, I think he was the grand champion, Yokozuna, this, like, six-inch thick stack of envelopes. And it's like, what are these guys? These guys are making stacks. And these guys compete three or four times in a 15-day tournament. So... They make a lot of money. The thing is, though, is it worth being that large? I don't think so. But this does segue into my other... I had a physical experience with sumos when I went to a public bathhouse. (laughs) That was interesting. Because, you know, uh, onsens... Even though this wasn't technically an onsen, it was what's called a sento. An onsen is a natural hot spring bath, and a sento is an artificially heated bath, typically in a city. And I went to this place on my own because, you know, no one else was interested except me. And I go in, and there's a ticket booth machine, whatever, that you get the ticket, you go to the desk, and they hand you a uh, wristband and a key. The key goes to a locker, put your stuff in the locker, uh, take all your clothes off, go into the bath. And I wasn't, like, I was on the fence about being naked in front of other people. It wasn't as hard as I thought. But, you know, the thing that really threw me for a loop here is I was thinking, like, okay, I'm going to guess age limit, like, 18, maybe 16, No, no. There were kids with their parents there. Like, just some dad walking with, like, his nine-year-old son. And I was like, can we, can we not do this with, please? Like, no. 
<laughs> I really don't want this that to be going on here. And I was like the only white dude in the room. It was me and some other like Dutch looking dude who had the most disproportionate body I've ever seen. Super jacked up top. Absolutely no muscle on his legs. And <laughs> um, you know, this place was it was interesting. It was called Spa World, if any of you are going to Japan. I would probably recommend going to an actual onsen, but you know, you get it. you get what you get. I, when I go back to Japan, would like to go to an actual onsen, but trying it out doesn't really matter where you go the first time, I don't think. But I go in, and this place is huge. It's like six or seven floors. And the floors are uh, gender segregated, of course, but... Uh, you go in, and there's a, a locker room, and then there's like a, a place with a bunch of chairs with mirrors where you can dry your hair and all that stuff. And then you go enter the, um, I guess, the bathing room, and you go to the right, and there's like jets that you walk through that kind of clean your body off. And then you step in, and there's, like, this waiting pool. Waiting pool wasn't too—didn't look like it was too hot, so I was like, ah, nah. And there's a bunch of, like, kids in there. I'm not—it's not my jam. Um, I go into this other room, and there's a foot bath and this, like, shelf-looking thing. Like, it's on the floor, and it's, it is a bath, but it's like a shelf where you kind of sit on. And your body isn't fully immersed, but you're just laying in, like, cold water, hot water, like, probably midway up your body. So, like, if I was laying on my back, it'd be, like, up to the middle of my ribs. I sat in that for a minute, and I was like, yeah, this is, okay, this is kind of dumb. And then I go over to uh, the actual, like, hot bath area. There was a hot bath, and there was a cold bath, and there was a sauna. And there was an outdoor hot bath. So I go into the sauna... Because I was like, eh, I'm just going to go here first, start off, warm up, bro. And I'm in there for like 10, 10, maybe 10 minutes. And I get out and I go into this this cold pool. And going from super hot to super cold is really, really not fun. I mean, it feels like it's good for you, but it doesn't feel great. <laughs> So I'm sitting in the cold pool as long as I can last, which is like two and a half minutes after, you know, hopping into like a hundred and whatever, 60 degree sauna. And I get out. Then I go to the hot baths outside. It was like a fucking baseball team just having like a team bonding experience. And I was like, guys, what is going on here? But, you know, I'm going to let that one go. Overall... Probably bathhouses. Interesting. I mean, <laughs> after I was done there, I went and got dressed. I went down to the third floor. I got a massage. That was okay. And then I left. I mean, I did see the sumo. I saw one of the sumo guys, like, getting absolutely pampered, too. Like, it was hilarious. But, you know, it. they give you a small towel. I couldn't wrap that towel all the way around my body. They were not expecting someone of my size. And it was just like, okay, guys, can 
can we get bigger towels, please? Like, I just want to be able to dry my body off efficiently. And I'd recommend doing it if you're interested in it. The problem is, if you're not interested in it, don't do it. Uh, there's no reason for you to do it. And really, I mean, it's... Uh, you're going to take a bath. Like, for real. It's not that big of a deal. But it was an interesting experience. Would I do it again? Probably not at a location like that. But at a place like, I don't know, a Riacon or a hotel that's designed around an onsen and a natural hot spring situation, I'd probably be up to that. But the problem is, if I get tattoos by the time I go back, I can't go. So, you know. <sighs> the two hotels that weren't capsules, though, were pretty cool. I mean, they had their flaws. The one in Osaka told us it had Netflix and didn't have Netflix. That was some shit. So we just had to sit in our phones watching whatever. Um, the one in Kyoto was, it was all right. I mean, it was three beds. They put three twin beds in a room. There was a chair and a small table and there was the TV and, uh, the shower. That's what I was going to talk about. The showers are way different. So in Japan, the bathrooms, there's a sink and a, a counter normal bathroom situation. And then there's a sealed room, like a hermetically sealed room that is a shower. Like it's a walk-in shower that you don't like. I'm kind of finding like struggling to describe it, but the floor has a drain in it. It's like normally in the U S or I think in Europe, you would step into a shower. Like there's a small walk-in shower. No, no, no. This six by six room is a shower. The thing is, though, there's a stool, a mirror. The mirror might or might not be heated to keep from fogging. And a bathtub. The shower head is kind of centrally located in between the bathtub. It's either in the bathtub or kind of just in between the bathtub and the floor. And you take a shower either standing or sitting, whatever you want. There was a bucket in one of them. Uh, it was in the Kyoto bathroom. The bucket was kind of just if you wanted to wash yourself off after, um, you know, washing yourself with soap. But the thing here is that bathroom is probably the most efficient thing I've ever witnessed, and I, I want that in, in my life. The toilet seats were all heated and all bidets. Can we talk about that for a minute? Like every toilet I ran into was at least heated and had a bidet. What is going on in Japan where they're willing to put that much money into their toilets? Like that was the cool, it was the best thing because I've never used a bidet before and I don't think I can go back. Unfortunately, I have to for now, but it, the bat, they were so dedicated to their like hygiene. It was insane. I loved it. But, uh, the Osaka hotel was interesting. It was on like a back alley type situation and it was this place called hotel and rooms. 
Their grasp on English isn't that great in Japan. I'm just going to tell you that now. Um, this hotel was interesting because it was nice, but it was kind of dirty. Like, we got to the room, and small detail, the rooms require you to put your key card in so that the lights work. That was kind of hard to figure out at first. But it had this wooden platform that was like six or seven inches high, and it had the beds on the platform. And that was cool. I mean, it was this modern aesthetic, and all the lights were controlled by a panel next to the bed and all that stuff. You know, there's a desk. It's a general hotel room, but kind of with a modern design. And, you know, it was cool. It worked as a hotel. But, it, I mean, that's really all I can tell you about it, is that it was a hotel that I enjoyed. Um, overall, though, the trip to Japan was excellent. Were there some things I would have liked to do that I didn't get to do? Yeah. I would have liked to go to the Kodokan. Uh, I would have liked to go. I, I talked to a friend. He wanted some anime stuff, so he wanted to go. wanted me to go to Akihabara, but... You know, we, we got stuck and we couldn't go. That's no big deal, but I'd like to go there, just check it out. And then um, go to the Kodokan. The thing is, though, I feel like you don't get to go to the Kodokan for a day or two. I feel like you have to go there for a month, maybe two, even three. And I feel like you kind of have to speak Japanese. Like They say they speak English, but I feel like you get the best instruction in Japanese. I would recommend going. It's certainly worth the time, but some kind of pro tips. If you're going to go, learn at least basic Japanese or bring someone with you that speaks it. That's that's really the number one thing. Two, download like podcasts, Netflix material, bring books, anything that you can get to kind of buy time in between. Like, there were places where, like, okay, I'm going to use the, the the Osaka example. We didn't have Netflix on the TV. So we all had to use our phones to do something. I mean, I was going back and forth between reading about you know, new Warhammer competitive rules or playing Sudoku or reading a strength conditioning book. Um, it's, I just, I had to do that. Like, I finished the uh, Gardnerian Book of Witchcraft in Japan and oh, oh, I have said a lot about that, but I can say more. Um, It, it, you need to bring stuff with you. And, you know, we took backpacks, just backpacks. Personally, I think, uh, well, a lot of my space in my bag was taken up by my camera, which means I need to get a camera-specific bag or, you know, luggage designed for carrying cameras because I was pretty limited. I had, like, three shirts and two or three pairs of, of sweats, and I had underwear and, and socks for, like, five or six days, but... I was constantly having to do laundry, and laundry there was four or 500 yen, and it took two hours. So, and sometimes my stuff wasn't even fully dry after that. Um, if you 
if you want to go and you want to do well, I would say take backpacks. The max size you can get for carry-ons. I mean, don't shortchange yourself here. You're going to a foreign country. You're going to want clothes. Like, it, it, as big a bag as you can fit in a carry-on, take it. I, like, I was really, really stretched for space at the end of the trip because I was bringing stuff back for people. And, um... I bought a Uniqlo trench coat, which you can only really get in Japan, and I didn't have anywhere else to put it, so I had to wear it through security and all that. I mean, if I had a little bit bigger bag, it would have been better, or if I didn't have to put it on my camera, I could have put it in there. But, and no, I wouldn't have been able to because I still had it stuffed with, like, souvenirs and stuff. But I think it's, it's a great trip for people. If you can fly business class, because you want to be able to lay back, uh, I don't think I'd take Ambien because, you know, I sleepwalk already. But if you fly, I, would, I might recommend taking Ambien. And jet lag will ruin your life for a couple days. Uh, it hit us pretty hard when we got to Japan. We, we did... Um, acclimate like halfway through the trip but the first few days like I was whacked I'm whacked right now but we got there at whatever time I don't remember it was you know let's say five o'clock we went to sleep at 11 their time I woke up at four that was for like three or four days and then all of a sudden, I was going to sleep at 11 and waking up at 7, which means I kind of adjusted. But it was still like, there's this drowsiness. I don't know. I mean, some of you probably experienced jet lag, but if you haven't, it was like this kind of drowsiness where you would have energy halfway through the day and then you would just be zapped. And I think it's worse coming back home because like yesterday, or was it? It was Sunday. I slept for 17 hours Sunday. Like, I was trying as hard as I could to wake up, you know, on on time-ish. And then go to sleep in my regular time, which is like around 11 o'clock. I woke up at 2 a.m. And I was up till about 10. And I slept until 8 p.m., and then I woke up and went back to sleep at 11-ish. And then I slept until like 5. But it wasn't even really sleeping. It was kind of like dozing. Oh. It was like dozing. But it felt like I was just under the surface of sleep. Like the best way I can describe it is if you were in a lake and that lake was pitch black and your face was a quarter of an inch from the surface, but you just couldn't go any deeper and you couldn't push through the surface. That's what it felt like. And it was weird because I was like kind of conscious that I was sleeping, but I didn't have any, I couldn't do anything about it. It, oh, it was a, a trip. 
But yesterday I fell asleep at my regular time, kind of a little bit earlier than that, and I woke up. It, it, I woke up at five, four fifty-eight. So that's what I'm doing first thing in the morning is to record this. Um, I'm gonna close this podcast right now. I'm gonna finish Beowulf on Friday. That's happening. And then we're going to get into Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. It's going to spill over um, into the next month, but, you know, it it happens. Unless I decide not to take a a break week, it's probably going to spill over into the next month. So I probably won't take a break week. Um, We're doing Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, and then I don't know what book I want to do after that. Uh, I'll find something to do. I might do the Gardenarian book, Witchcraft, just talk about it, because the problem is, though, that book is 90 pages, and 30 of that is filler, so I can't talk about it for that long. I can maybe do one, potentially two episodes about it, and that's about it. So I'll see you guys on Friday. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, share it with you boys, review us on iTunes, wherever you're listening to this from, and uh, I'll catch you on Friday with some good old Irish poetry. Mm-hmm.